I named a bunch of stuff that you're really probably okay with the changes. I could go on other lists and here we go, ooh, yeah, I don't like that one. Don't like that one either. But here's what I want us to hear. Now, I'll just give you half of the line now, and I'll give you the other half at the end. But here it is. Change is not an indictment on the past. Change is not an indictment on the past. All those things I mentioned before them, they were actually, the, there had been innovation to that point. Right? At some point, there were no candles. At some point, they, you know, I, I can keep going back. There were no cars. You walked or you drove or a horse. At some point, you made your own clothing. At some point, change is not always an indictment on the past. But change is a reality for all of us. I mean, it's okay for us to be okay with what's new. It's okay to recognize it's not destroying the past. Change is not an indictment on the past. Like I said, this is the last Sunday of Advent. The Sunday before Christmas. It's the Sunday of peace. And there's a phrase that's read in Matthew chapter 1. We're going to actually be in the book of Hebrews today. But, but in Matthew chapter 1, there's this phrase that says... You will name him Jesus, and he will be called Emmanuel, or God with us. That changes everything. It's the idea, it's a kind of a powerful idea. The presence of God is not something that's abstract and far out there. It's one of those things that comes to us. It's new, by the way. Never happened before. I mean, God brings about through Jesus the things we've talked about each of these weeks. We talked about hope and love and joy. And today we talk about peace. Peace that comes into the world through Jesus. Peace that, that would come into our lives and still our very hearts. Peace that is definitely a new thing. However, to receive that peace requires change. It's not an indictment necessarily on our own lives, our own hearts, but it does require change. I mean, this is the beginning of the good news that Jesus comes to tell us all about. Jesus comes proclaiming this, that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven has come near. It's here. It's me. It is present with us. And what Jesus comes to us to say is this, I'm doing a new thing. The old thing's over. It's time for something new. And so we'll be looking at this letter, this conclusion of this series, Christmas letters. Actually, we have one more week. It's Christmas letters kind of P.S. because Christmas is actually, we should continue celebrating for a few weeks, but next week we'll look at one more letter. But we're looking at the book of Hebrews today, and we'll be in Hebrews chapter 10. And this is an early church letter that circulated among churches. It was kind of attributed to Paul, but most aren't really sure who wrote it, but it fits kind of with the character and nature of Pauline thought. What we begin to see in this letter is this is the whole point of the letter. Jesus becomes the mediator between God and humanity. He becomes the one who bridges whatever gaps exist. He becomes the one who reconciles us to God. He's the one who comes and says, here, there was a way in which you used to live. There was this sacrificial system that defined kind of the Jewish world. And the system existed, but it isn't the way God ever intended the world to work. I'm going to do a new thing. And so the writer of Hebrews says this, that, that all that the Old Testament talks about was temporary and momentary and not forever. It wasn't meant to last forever. In other words, the way you have previously understood the action and activity of God is over and God has done a new thing. I want to be clear here. I'm not saying that God has changed, but our understanding of God dramatically changes in the person of Jesus. 
There are things we can say about God in the Old Testament that we cannot say about him in the New, not because God has changed, but because Jesus comes to us and gives us a new picture of who God actually is. And so we're going to look today at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 5 through 10, and I'll invite you to stand as we read this, just these few verses. It's kind of a weird text for Christmas, and we'll get to that here in just a minute. But here's what the, writers of, the writer of Hebrews writes. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 5 through 10 say this. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me with burnt offerings and sin offerings. You were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. First he says, Sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them. Though they were offered in accordance with the law, then he said, Here I am, I have come to do your will. He set aside the first to establish the second, and by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. So in the ancient world, there was kind of this understanding about the way the world worked. There were all these gods, and they all required sacrifice. If you didn't sacrifice to the ancient gods, God would would smite you, he'd kill you, your crops wouldn't grow, whatever it was. This was the understanding in the ancient world. It's the way everyone thought the world worked. And it was brutal. Brutality and violence were the definition of the ancient world. We talk about the world today. You have no, go back and read history about the ancient world. It makes everything today look good. There was a way of living that was destructive. It was the epitome of oppression and violence. Sacrifice was the norm, but not just sacrifice of animals, but sacrifice of people. It was not uncommon to sacrifice infants. I mean, it was a way of living that we find appalling. And part of the reason we find it appalling is because of what Jesus did. I mean, it takes the idea of survival of the fittest and brings it to its fullest form. It was normal to despise and reject all foreigners until we begin to see a unique people come up in the world. And this is what happens. In the middle of this ancient world full of violence and sacrifice of people, God begins to do a new thing through these people. Nation of Israel. Abraham, he says to Abraham, hey, I want to make your name great. I want you to be a blessing to the world. Now, that right there is pretty revolutionary. That I, the idea that I would bless others, it's not about me first or just appeasement of the gods, but I would begin to care for others. I would go so far as to say that when we see acts of humanity, acts of compassion, acts of justice, acts of forgiveness, they have their start in Genesis chapter 6 in this call of Abraham. This call to be a blessing to the world. But we never really got that right. We didn't quite understand that it wasn't too long into the story in which we began to define ourselves by national boundaries and borders. And in that defining, we kicked people out because they weren't the right kind and we didn't want the right kind in. And in the middle of that, we said, well, we just want to be like everybody else. And so they had a king. And God goes, no, no, you don't really want a king. This isn't how this works. You don't need a king. I'll be your king. And people go, no, all of our neighboring countries, they have kings. And they go, okay, well, you can have a king. And then they said, you know, all these other neighbors, they have these great big, big armies, and they have all these chariots and these horses, and they, they have all this kind of stockpile of stuff, and, and God had told them, you, you don't need that stuff. I'm your God. I'm enough for you. And they go, yeah, but everybody else has it. 
we need it too. And so the next thing you know, this once people that was called to be a blessing to the world looks just like every other nation that existed on the face of the earth. It looks like all the rest. So what happens to a nation no longer defined by who God calls them to be as a blessing to the world? They get taken over. And oppression and violence become what runs their country as well. It's split in two. Israel in the north, Judah in the south. It's kind of this brokenness that comes about. There's wandering and exile. There's confusion. There's question about what's next. They miss this call to be a blessing to the world. See, it was never about their national identity. It was about being the unique people of God, being in right relationship with God. And they missed that. They misunderstood what that was to be for them. And Jesus comes into the world and he says, Ugh, you've heard it said, but I say to you. He says it over and over again. You've heard it said, hate your enemies, but I say to you, love your enemies. Wait a minute, oh, hey, uh, can you say that again? You've heard it said, hate your enemies. Yeah, right, I understand that part. I like that line. And he goes, no, 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 but that's not what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to love them. Oh, you mean like, this is like facetious. You don't really mean this, right? He goes, no, 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 I really mean it. You want me to love my enemies? Yep. Are you sure? Pretty sure. Can we renege on that? Not if you want to be one of my people. Oh, you meant that. Yep. So he's called Prince of Peace. It's pretty revolutionary. This guy comes into the world, this little baby is born. In a, I mean, not this cave, because that would be really weird if we had that. But, but he's born like in this cave, this baby who comes into the world. He comes as a child. And he says this sacrificial system that has defined the world for you because it was better than it had been. He says, here's the point. God never desired their sacrifice. He desired their love. And love is shown through obedience, not sacrifice. Jesus comes into the world and he literally takes the world as they know it and he flips it upside down. Or, if we're to understand it rightly, probably right side up. He changes everything. And so what do we mean by this idea that, that God desires obedience? Well, here was the command that Jesus kept saying over and over again. In various ways, in various forms, he said this, love God and love others. So if it isn't loving, it isn't a reflection of your character and nature if you're going to be a reflection of God in the world. Love people and love God. That's what obedience looks like. It's not more complex than that. I don't want to make it some list of rules. They had a whole list of rules, 600 some, and then they had rules for those rules, and none of them could keep them. I mean, rules are easy. I like rules, if I'm honest, because I can check off whether I did or didn't do it, right? That's easier to understand. But what they couldn't quite grasp is in the sacrificial system that defined the Jewish people. Every time you made a sacrifice to ask for forgiveness for what you had done, it didn't point forward, it pointed backward to what you had already done. It didn't have the ability to restore relationship. It didn't have the ability to give hope. It didn't have the ability for us to receive love. It was just this idea that I knew I need to be right with God, and this was a way to try to do that. So if I had read verse 1 from this text, it says it's a pale shadow. In other words, the sacrificial system, the idea that a bunch of rules are the way we get to know God, it gives us a pale shadow of who God really is doesn't point us to who God is or what God desires from us or for us. 
I mean, Jesus comes and he says, hey, by the way, this is over. Like this old stuff, this is done. That's why we say Old and New Testament, or Old Covenant and New Covenant. It literally is like, hey, this is over. We're not doing this anymore. I've done a new thing. That's why your Bible is literally divided in two. It's why they have two sections. This is why it's put together that way. Because here's how we used to understand the way God works in the world, but here is who Jesus says we're called to be. I'm just going to read again verse 8. First he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, here I am, I have come to do your will. Here's what I just said. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. The laws, the sacrifices, the rituals of the Old Testament were an attempt to draw us into right relationship with God, but they never could. I love this quote by one scholar. He said, the purpose of religion is to bring people into a close relationship with God. And that is what sacrifices could never do. Religion has always been about right relationship with God. And it becomes known more for sacrifice or rules or, or following some code of conduct, and it's missed the mark. Sacrifices were reminders again and again of our falling short. They were a reminder of our own brokenness, of our sinfulness. The old sacrifices had to be done over and over and over again. It's like when you're a kid, and maybe, maybe just me, because um, I didn't know how this whole God thing worked or, or knowing Jesus, and so I would think I had to, you know, I was scared. I was really just scared of hell, if I'm honest. And so as a kid, I would, every time there was an opportunity to like, give your life to Christ, I did it again and again and again. Like at church camp, when they'd say, if you, if you don't know Jesus and you want to know him today, I'd go every time. Like, if you've already done this, you don't have to do it again. Like, I mean, if you really are living this out, you don't have to keep doing this. If, I mean, if you, if you run away from him, that's a different story. And I'm like, well, I better just do it again just to be safe. <laughs> just keep going. Probably in college, it was still true. Like at some point, it finally clicked. Like, oh, he just wants my heart and wants me to love him and to live for him. That may require continual confession or repentance. That's a part of that. If I'm living from a place that's not love, I need to confess that and begin to say, God, I, I want to live out of your love. In reality, I've got to run from him for him to not come to me. He continually comes to me even if I, I don't pay much attention to that. His love continues to come. See, all these sacrifices, all these rules could not offer restoration of our hearts. There was, as it said in verse 1, a pale shadow of who God really is, of the character and nature of him. In the Old Testament, we see they created rules and rituals and all kinds of ways that, and what Jesus comes to say is true religion, that God desires, is defined by love. It changes everything. I mean, disobedience to what God calls us separates us from right relationship. God calls us to love him and to love others. So if we're living in a way that is not loving towards others, then we're not living in right relationship with God. Like, love's hard. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed how trying to love people is really hard? Because their people are annoying. I mean, have you noticed at Christmas time, I, went, I did Christmas food shopping yesterday, People are annoying. People are cutting in front of you in line, and, you know, they don't park in the parking spot. They, 
park all crooked and take multiple spots. I mean, your car's not that nice. I mean, I, oh, go through Walmart, Walmart at a noon on a Saturday. It's a bad idea, by the way. Like, you should not do that. I did it. I had to repent as I walked to the car. Um, <laughs> like, that's, we get it. But love, love is hard. I mean, I think probably for many of us, the hardest place to love is either at home or in situations like that. You go, oh, I'm a reflection of Jesus. I'm called to be a reflection of Jesus. It's okay that they cut you off. And that's easy stuff, right? That's really easy stuff. Jesus comes into the world and he says, behold, I'm doing something new. I'm throwing out the old thing. Because you got it wrong. We misunderstood the character and nature of God. And Jesus comes to say, but let me help you know who God really is. He doesn't desire your sacrifice. He wants your love. And he wants you to live out of that love to be a blessing to the world. So differently, the old system kept looking backward to what had already happened, and the new system looks forward to what is yet to come. That's really good if you didn't catch that. That, That's about as good as I can make it. See, Jesus brings the future into the present. He says the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The old way of of living in this way where you have to go back and sacrifice for what has previously happened. No, no, no. That's not the way God works. God wants to bring the future into the present. God wants to pull heaven into earth. It really is earth-shattering, life-changing, peace-giving, hope-filled. This is what I'd say. If I finish the line from earlier, here's what I would say. Change is not an indictment on the past, but it is obedience to the future. Change is not an indictment on the past, but it is obedience to the future. It doesn't mean that everything was wrong in the past. Although if we're talking our personal lives, often it really was wrong in the past. Many of us live in ways we know, like, yeah, that was probably wrong. Not really a question about that. That's actually probably sinful. But in much of our life, what God is trying to say is this. I want to change things in your life. I want to change things in your church. I want to change things in your home. And change is not an indictment on the past. It is obedience to God's future. It is obedience to heaven breaking into the here and the now. All right, so I guess I would say this. This hasn't sounded much like a Christmas message so far, right? Like you expected that I was going to talk about one particular thing today. And this doesn't seem much like it. Talked about sacrifice and old stuff and ancient times. But here's where the birth narrative changes everything. He's called Emmanuel, God with us. Here's the new thing. Here's the Christmas present. Here's the point. God came to us as us, for us. God is not absent from the world. Although when we look around, we see violence, we see destruction, we see an earthquake that led to a tsunami and people died just this weekend. You read the news, you watch the news, violence seems to run rampant, brokenness is evident in the world around us, and you say, well, where is God in the middle of all that? Right there, in the middle, with us. See, here's the crazy thing is, as much as I would love God to solve all those problems and fix all that stuff, I wouldn't like the idea that God controlled me. And neither would you, if we're honest. 
If you had no say in the direction of your life, if you didn't get to be a participant in that, and God was just a puppet master pulling strings, because we can really only have it one way or the other. We cannot have it both. But what God says to us in the person of Jesus is, listen, I'm with you in the midst of suffering. I'm with you in the midst of brokenness. I'm with you in a world that needs repaired. I'm with you because I love you. I'm with you because I'm one of you. I'm a part of you. Jesus comes to us as a child. It is God's way of saying, I've come as you. God has come to us, as us, for us, so that we can find hope and meaning and life because God is present with us, not absent. See, Jesus comes and he says, Behold, there was an old way of doing things, and now I give you a new way. And here's what I want to say today. Um, I think Jesus changed everything. But I don't believe that God changed. See, the indictment is not upon God. The indictment on the past is upon us and our understanding of who God actually is. I mean, this is why I've said before, and I'll continue to say probably till the day I die, Jesus, all throughout the New Testament, takes things and he says, you've heard it said, but I say to you. You've heard it said, and hate your enemy. I say, love them. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, but I say to you. I was trekking into the cheek. You've heard it said. I can keep going probably for quite a while on this. Jesus calls us to a way of life that is other. It is defined by love. It is. It doesn't make sense. It really doesn't. And the world in which we live, to live the way Jesus calls us to, doesn't make sense. It literally takes the world that we think we understand this way, and it flips it upside down. And in God's kingdom, it's actually right side up. It really is revolutionary. It's new stuff for us. This new thing of God is love. It's hope. This new thing is God's church and the world. It's why he doesn't have national boundaries. He says, no, no, no. My church is not defined by a location. It is a people. It is a movement. It is defined by my love. And if it, and there are no boundaries that can hold it in. Just this weekend, two mega churches in China were shut down. But you know what? I'll guarantee they still gather this week. Without a doubt in my mind, because we're not defined by space. The early church was a movement, not a location. It was a people on a mission together for the sake of the world to know God's love. And so can you imagine what it would be for us to embrace the character and nature of Jesus? Can you imagine what it looked like if we brought heaven to earth? Can you imagine what that might look like? It might look like this, that children wouldn't go to bed hungry or without an education, that widows would not die alone, that the color of one's skin would not impact the way others viewed them, that every family would include a loving mother and father, that no marriage would end in divorce, that laughter would reign in places where violence previously had reigned. Can you imagine what it looked like for heaven to break into the here and now? And we see glimpses of heaven just among some of us. So I've seen some of you post on social media the way in which you took those paying it forward cards and you left them with something somewhere. Like I saw someone bought oatmeal and they got a thank you note the next day. It looks like purchasing of dozens of gifts for families in need in our community. Thank you. It looks like every time we have a funeral, we've had 57 since I've been here. We provide a meal. And I, I, we say it no charge, but it's because of the generosity of the church. 
So there's a charge. It does cost. It's not free. No one donates it to us. We buy it. But we buy it with the tithes and offerings that people give because we want to say to families, we love you and we know in the middle of this awful time we're here for you. See, all these things are for us glimpses of heaven breaking into the here and now. They are the Christmas story. Heaven, here, and now. Jesus invites us to live in such a way that heaven breaks into the here and now. Will you and I choose to be a part? Will we usher in the idea of God with us in our everyday life? Will we look at our lives and say, you know what? I don't have peace, but I want it. See, I think so often we're longing for something our hearts desire, our souls long for something, some kind of fulfillment, some kind of hope, something that can fill us. And this is what the birth of Jesus says to us. I am with you. Jesus is what our souls have been longing for, what our heart's desire is. He is the epitome of the brokenness in us that comes to bring restoration. It is God's love for us seen in the person of Jesus that gives hope. See, changing our view of God is not necessarily an indictment on our past. Is obedience to the future breaking into the present. So if you and I have misunderstood God, if we've got the wrong picture, if the God we think we know is really more defined by the Old Testament God and the, and the God of this old covenant, then we probably don't really know him. But I want to say to you, if you read the New Testament, if you spend time in the words of Jesus, if you read about who God is and who Jesus says God is, that really should be who defines the character and nature of God. And if you begin to read those words, you'll begin to see a new picture emerge, one that says, ah, I don't need your sacrifices. Are you kidding? It's what your love, your obedience, your character, what's your heart. And I only don't want, want your heart, but I want to give you my heart. I want you to be defined by my love. I want love to overflow in your life. I want to give you peace. When you're a wreck, and there is no rest in your heart or mind or soul, whatever it is you want to define that as, when you feel like there's turmoil in your chest and you just don't know what to do with it and it's bubbling up, when you feel like your life is falling apart, when you feel like you have no control over anything, God wants to say, hey, listen, I am with you. I am present with you. My peace is for you, a peace that surpasses understanding, a peace that is given by coming to accept my love in a way that changes everything in your life. And this change in your own view of God is not an indictment on the past. It is obedience to the future. So for the question is for you and I, what is the new thing that God wants you and I to do? Because it isn't stay with the old, by the way. Makes that pretty clear. It's why the psalmist even says, a new song I give you. Like we cannot go backwards. Looking backwards does not bring us to the place that God desires us. He calls us to bring heaven into the present, here and now. God is not a God of the past, but of the present and the future. God desperately desires for you and I to know his love in a way that changes everything. And so the question is, what is the part of our life that God wants to speak into? Do you and I know what it is to know God with you, with us? See, the greatest gift we can receive this Christmas is the gift of his son. Right, we celebrate Christmas and Easter both. They're the two kind of biggest holidays in the church. Christmas, we talk about the idea that 
that God is with us, that we're not meant to do life alone. It was never this intention to be doing this by ourselves. It's the recognition that we, we kept getting it wrong in the past, and God goes, okay, enough is enough. I'm tired of watching you guys screw this up. You were created in my image, and I'm going to help you see what that image looks like. So here's my son, Jesus. This is who I am. Know him and know his love. And live as a reflection of that love in the world, and it really will change everything. You think it won't? Think about this. 2,000 years ago, Jesus was born in a cave in Bethlehem to no fanfare. 2,000 years later, nearly every place in the entire world celebrates this guy who was born in a cave his birthday. If you think that doesn't change everything, I don't know what does. Jesus changes everything. So this morning we're going to sing um, one more song. We're going to sing Joy to the World again because I want to end with this. That even though change is not an indictment on the past, it's obedience to God's future. And will you and I be obedient to the future God has for us today? We pray with me. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together today to celebrate the way you are near to us, to celebrate the way you love us, that you desire to be engaged with us and bringing heaven to earth. Will you help us in all the moments we get it wrong and all the moments that we don't get it right? Will you help us in the way in which you desire for us to, to know and share your love? Will you help us to recognize that in all aspects of our life, more often than not, change is not an indictment on the past, it is obedience to the future. And the future you desire for us is to bring heaven into the here and the now. And so may we live as a people of heaven on earth. Father, help us to dream about what that could look like. If we were people who recognize that God is with us, that God came to us, as us, for us, for the sake of the world. That you love us. That you're redeeming and restoring that heaven is coming and there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. And you invite us to be participants in that. So may you restore not only our hearts, but this world in which we live. We pray this all in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with us and sing together this morning.